just trying to shoot the moon Isn't everything we've got that's just a piece of a spoon Welcome to The Word Witch, a podcast for the modern magical soul, exploring tarot, astrology, belief, and more from a queer witch, that's me, in conversation with folks making magic from the margins. I'm your host, Claire Burgess. Let's make some magic. Hello, friends, witches otherlings. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the winter solstice, uh, which is coming up here in about a week in the Northern Hemisphere. And I'm going to uh, have two rituals uh, that I'm going to suggest to you all. And then we're going to talk about the tarot number family of the ones. So we, uh, I introduced this way of studying the tarot and understanding the tarot in the last month's solo episode, which was episode three. And now we're really starting it proper, looking at the ones. Uh, and so that is at the end of the episode. That's the last thing we're doing today. Um, and before we do both of those things, we're going to have our listener mail. I'm going to answer a question and do a reading for one of the listeners. But before even that, I want to tell you all about the year ahead readings that I have to offer. <laughs> Imagine that there's Christmassy holiday music playing underneath my words right now. You're going to have to imagine it because I don't fuck with royalties. <laughs> As you know, the end of the year is upon us. The new year is coming up soon, at least according to the Gregorian calendar, which is pretty entirely arbitrary, but <laughs> this is, since we celebrate this change of the year globally, this is a really powerful time when sort of all of us together as a, a collective is aware of this transition, aware of this change that's happening. And so it is a really powerful time to release the old, release what we want to leave behind in 2018, and to set intentions for what we want to call in in 2019 and what we want to shift and change and rise to. And as such, I'm offering a limited number of year ahead readings using a spread that I devised. It's a 20 card spread that harnesses this moment of transition in order to do that review of the year past and set intentions for the year to come. Using both tarot deck and an oracle deck, we look at your biggest lesson of 2018, what you're leaving behind in the past year, what you're still engaged in, what work you're still doing, because it's not like the year with the, the end of the year, all of the stuff that we're doing, all of the work that we're doing, all of the projects we're in the middle of and the self-development we're in the middle of suddenly stops or finishes and then we start totally new. Nuh-uh. Mm -mm. No, the work continues. So we also look at that work that you are still currently engaged in and how to bridge that into the future. And uh, also what work awaits you, what new work awaits you in the year ahead. We also look at four areas of focus for the next year in the four realms of life. We look at uh, your internal world of emotions and relationships. We look at your career and passions. We look at your material reality and we 
we look at your mental realm and your personal power and what you're being called to focus on or work on in each of those areas in 2019. And then lastly, um, I also calculate your year card for 2019 using numerology. And we use that card to explore uh, the larger themes at play in your life right now and how to work with the energy of that year card to get the most out of the next year. Right now, as I'm recording this, uh, there are four. Yeah, I just have four spots left for these year ahead readings. Um, I'm going to be doing them between December 15th and December 30th. So if you want one of those four spots, I have two live spots. So those are in person in Portland or over video call. And I have two written email readings left. So if you want one of those four remaining spots, head on over to my website, thewordwitchtarot.com, and you can find out more about that and how to book it there. And I also have a pretty sweet discount uh, available for my Patreon members. So if you want to access that discount, which is like 30 bucks off, head on over to my Patreon and you can join up there for um, as little as $1 a month. And it's all pay what you can sliding scale and everybody gets the same access to the content that I share on there. So like, why the hell wouldn't you? (laughs) But okay, enough of that. You can stop imagining holiday music now. (laughs) Thank you for your participation. Let's uh, slide on into the astro update for the next two weeks. Uh, So the main thing that I want to talk about today is the winter solstice. So I'm just going to do a real brief kind of look at the upcoming astrology real quick. And then I just want to get straight to that because that's where the meat is. And then I'm really excited about getting to the uh, listener question and the reading and then the tarot lesson at the end of this. So first things first, uh, today, uh, as this podcast airs on the 12th, uh, Mercury is moving into Sagittarius. Uh, Mercury is direct now, and we've already had a taste of this Mercury and Sagittarius flavor before Mercury went retrograde, uh, since it started its retrograde in Sag and then moved back into Scorpio. Mercury is mercifully direct now, and while it is currently still in its shadow period, this movement into Sagittarius is still going to be pretty dominated by some pretty lovely energy because it's uh, hanging out there in Sag along with Jupiter, the ruling planet of Sagittarius, which it's going to conjunct on the 20th or 21st. And when that happens, we can expect a pretty awesome boost in our like Uh, The expansiveness of our creativity, uh, big ideas, really, really thinking outside the box. So those could be uh, two good days to to brainstorm, (laughs) honestly, to to try and uh, generate fresh ideas for any projects you're working on or for what you want to do in 2019 or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And also in the next two weeks, Mercury and Venus will both be exiting their shadow periods. So that's when at that point, uh, we will really be out of the two, those two retrograde cycles. Uh, Mercury and Venus are both technically direct now, but they're still processing through what we call the shadow period, which is basically where the planet is still retracing the same part of the sky that it moved backwards through or optically, uh, it's an illusion, but appeared to move backwards through 
during their retrograde. So after it finishes retracing that path, then we're then we're really free and clear. Then we stop having these like replays of, or at least as many replays, uh, because some ghosts still haunt us. <laughs> but we stop having as many flashbacks to the things we worked on in retrograde, the things that came up, etc. So this sort of backwardsness and stuffiness we've been feeling uh, with those two retrogrades, and then the whole retrograde season that happened before that, where all the personal planets were in retrograde, and it was just like a slog ever since the summer, will really finally, like the air will get clear. And then we will pretty blissfully be starting 2019 with no personal planets in retrograde. So that'll be great. Also, the sun is going to be moving from Sagittarius into Capricorn on December 21st. And I'm going to talk more about that in my next episode. In two weeks, the day after Christmas will be my uh, the interview episode for this month. And that will technically be after the sun has already ingressed into Capricorn. But I have a lot to say about Capricorn and also about the tarot card ruled by Capricorn, which is the devil. (laughs) Um, And I started recording it earlier and I just, I have so many things to say. So I'm going to save that uh, for the beginning of the next episode. And it'll also be really perfect because my interview guest on the next episode is Keon of Millennial Soul Food, and Keon is a Capricorn, (laughs) which I did entirely unintentionally. But hey, way to go me. I accidentally planned something right. (laughs) And then right after the sun moves into Capricorn and we have the solstice, uh, we have a big, lovely full moon in Cancer coming up on uh, Saturday, December 22nd, the next day. And that's going to be a really pleasant full moon. Uh, moons in Cancer. Cancer is about like the home. It's about n- nurturing. It's about like comfort. It's like the safe space. And so moons in Cancer can be really, really lovely. They can also sometimes be like really emotional and needy. But in this case, there are two really lovely aspects that are happening alongside the moon. One is that uh, the moon is going to be sextile to Uranus. Uranus is the planet of surprises and innovation. And so sometimes when Uranus gets in the mix, that means that like we're going to like things are going to get shaken up in a way that's not entirely comfortable. But since this is a sextile aspect and with the other dominating astrology, if Uranus does bring any surprises, there are going to be nice surprises, probably pleasant surprises, or we might find ways to... um. We might be able to uh, go with the flow a little bit better. Sometimes cancer can be a little bit, um, uh, I don't want to say rigid, but a little bit like uh, afraid to step outside of their comfort zone. And with this sextile to Uranus, maybe uh, we're going to have a little bit of an easier time. Uh, We'll be able to sort of flex and flow and um, maybe even do something unexpected that we find really helps us uh, come out of our, our crab shell, so to speak. There will also be a nice trine happening, Uh, Neptune, trine, Venus. That's the other big aspect in this full moon chart. And uh, Neptune being the planet of dreams, of imagination, and Venus being the planet of 
love. <laughs> this just feels like a really tender kind of full moon. A really tender full moon. I mean, like Neptune plus Venus is like dreamy love. Uh, Neptune is also very magical, very uh, creative, very mystical. Mystical is the word that I'm looking for. And that should be bringing uh, a nice, a nice flavor to Venus, uh, which has recently been through so much with its retrograde through Scorpio. And I will, of course, write more about that uh, on my Instagram and on my website as we get closer to the full moon, along with my usual moon spread and guidance there. But now I want to get on to the main event, the main event, the winter solstice. This is um, the longest night of the year and the shortest day of the year here in the Northern Hemisphere. This is the point when the Northern Hemisphere is tilted furthest away from the sun, hence cold, hence winter and seasons. <laughs> in the Southern Hemisphere, they will be having their summer solstice because the Southern Hemisphere is tilted closer to the sun, hence warmth and summer and seasons. This day's coming in on the 21st uh, at the exact point is at 2.32 p.m. Pacific time, FYI. And the winter solstice is also the pagan celebration of Yule. This is where we honor the dark and really sit with it. Really sit with it. In the days coming up to Yule, um, I like to really review, reflect and review the past year on what's happened, what I've what I've learned, what I've experienced. And what I, what I want to let go of to appreciate the past year and also to evaluate it. And I think it's really important during this time to allow, allow the days approaching the winter solstice, allow these darkest days when the dark is still growing to its zenith to be a really supportive container for that review and evaluation. Like I'm talking like no judgment container, <laughs> you know, just really hold space for yourself to gently reflect and consider what, what lessons or wisdoms you can have from the past year and also what really beautiful, wonderful fruits it brought you. I mean, I, I think that 2018 has been a really fucking hard year for a lot of us, but it also has brought many of us really big, important changes or epiphanies or movements into a fuller and truer embodiment of ourselves. And that's not often totally comfortable, y'all. <laughs> so in this time, hold that space non-judgmentally, gently, and with, with few expectations, you know, just let it exist. Let yourself exist and don't push yourself for absolute understanding of the events that have transpired and don't push yourself to like absolutely know an answer or find an answer, but just like allow those, allow yourself to sort of like float on the back, on your back in the ocean of 2018. <laughs> and this is, this is the idea of the void that I'm talking about. And I talked about that some in my Sagittarius 
post on Instagram, and I've been seeing it come up in a lot of other places. So I think that just like right now, there's like a collective frequency about the void. And so I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this void space, this gestational void space, which is just so um, profoundly appropriate for this moment, for this time of the year when it's the darkest, where when we're in that dark sort of cave-like womb space of night and of winter. This is the space where the, the crops, the plants are underground, the animals are in their nests, the earth is slumbering and regenerating so that it can birth anew in the springtime. I want to share a quote that one of the super rad folks on Instagram uh, shared on my Sagittarius New Moon post. So uh, this is from Caitlin, who is soul underscore inquisition on Instagram. So smash that follow button (laughs) on soul inquisition. Uh, She shared a quote from uh, Alan Watts, who was a British American philosopher. The quote was, let's see, let's see, where is it? Uh, How can we fear nothingness when out of nothing came everything? And then Caitlin added in her own post, uh, the void isn't devoid. The void isn't devoid. It's the seat of creation. Thank you, Caitlin, for that absolutely fucking right wisdom right there. (laughs) Um, This void space that we are so afraid of, this night space, this slumber space, this thing that can feel like emptiness and lack is not emptiness and lack. It is the gestational nothing and everything. It's that that full energy that I talked about um, on episode three, was it? Everything, like galactically speaking, sprung from the void. We sprung from the void. I mean, we could go back to like, you know, talking about stardust that we're all made of and all that stuff. But generally speaking, I'm too cynical for that. (laughs) But this space that we're in right now, this wintertime, nighttime, dark void is this is the sort of like cradle of everything that exists in the world and everything that is and will come to be. And I mean, because of that immense power, yeah, that's also really kind of scary, isn't it? But in the days leading up to the winter solstice, I'd like to invite all of you to just try and exist in that space. Try and float in that space without having to put things in boxes, without having to rationalize Um, and conceptualize everything. Just allow things to be and allow this review to happen and allow the intentions you want to set for the new year to um, rise in you organically and naturally and gently. Because yes, it is the longest night of the year when darkness rules supreme, but it's also the day after which the northern hemisphere starts to tilt ever back towards the sun and the light grows. So right now, where we are, as you're probably listening to this, if you are listening to it in a timely manner, (laughs) we're in the darkest part of the year when the night is still growing. 
The solstice will be the darkest part of the year. And then after that, it's still going to be really fucking dark. But these the sunlight is going to be um, expanding. It's going to be growing ever longer. The hours are going to be growing ever longer every day until we get to the summer solstice, which will be the longest day of the year and the shortest night. So while this is very much a void time, it is also a time where we welcome back the sun. It's a really, really hopeful time where we honor and respect the darkness and we we thank it for its fertile gifts. And we also optimistically look towards the return of the sun. And that means that this is a wonderful time to set those intentions right? It's just before the new year. So consider um, uh, setting some of those intentions on the solstice instead or, or do both. But really powerful time to do so as we start to tilt back towards the sun. And I've got two rituals for you to hopefully, um, uh, to possibly help you do that. Uh, so I, uh, they both involve fire <laughs> because the sun, fire, and also because fire is just great. I have a stellium in Sagittarius. Anyway, um, so the first one is a candle ritual that you can perform by yourself or with a group of people. So all you need to do to, for this is get yourself some candles. You want like um, a, a central one, which can maybe be bigger if you want it to be. White or black are both great choices, but it can be anything. And then several smaller candles, um, little, you know, tapered candles or even tea lights are fine. And you want one of those smaller candles for each person participating. Or if you're doing this alone by yourself, get one candle for each intention or prayer that you have for 2019. Also, PSA, be smart and use fire safety. (laughs) I don't want any of you burning yourselves or burning your houses down on the winter solstice. So, you know, keep it away from drapes, put it on like flame-proof surfaces and stuff. Like, be safe, be smart. You know, your parents taught you how to light candles safely. So do it. Okay, and now that I have protected myself from being sued, um, so gather those candles. And then before you begin, sit in the dark. Have all the lights off. Turn off all the lights. No candles lit yet. And sit in the dark. Hold that space that we are talking about for the last year and all the events that transpired. And hold space for yourself and honor the dark and the void. And just do that for a few moments or as long as feels right to you. And then, as you're sitting there in the dark, begin to imagine the sun's light cresting and unfolding over you. Feel its warmth and its blessing. And then light the central candle and welcome the return of the sun. You can offer a verbal blessing if you want, uh, or just say something like, I welcome the return of the sun. (laughs) After that, each person can light their own candle from the central candle, holding their intentions for 2019 inwardly or speaking them aloud if they're comfortable. And here's a pro tip, pro witch tip. Uh, Speak your intention in the present tense. Say it like you are already doing it. It gives it more power. If you're solo and not with a group, light your candles for each intention one by one. 
holding those intentions within you or stating them out loud, and then place those candles around the central candle in a circle. Then you can, you know, meditate on it a little bit. You can, like, you and your group can, like, I don't know, talk about your previous years, talk about what you want for the future, sing a song, and then end with a blessing or whatever feels right. I like a good old solid, so shall it be, (laughs) to close things out. So that's the first one. That's uh, a good candle ritual for those who don't have access to outdoor spaces with fire pits because that's what I'm talking about in the next ritual. (laughs) So this next one is a fire cleansing ritual. For this one, you probably want um, a, a fire pit or something outside. Maybe you could do it in a fireplace, but you want to be real careful because, you know, when, when you light stuff on fire and you're inside, it's not usually a good idea. So once again, the fire safety disclaimer from earlier. So this one is real simple. Write the things from 2018 that you want to release, that you want to let go of and leave behind in the past. Write them down on little pieces of paper and burn them. (laughs) Simple as that. Simple as that. Release those things as that you wrote on those pieces of paper. Release those things as you watch them burn, as you watch them be consumed and cleansed in the fire. There is nothing more cathartic, y'all. We did this with um, some friends of mine back in Pittsburgh. Uh, I guess that was two two new years ago. And my friend Emily, hey Emily, had the brilliant idea of uh, bringing out one of those like page a day calendars. It was one of the, actually this was one, um, this was one that had like really bizarre like quotes from celebrities on it. And it was hilarious and awful. Um, But it was one of those page a day calendars. And she invited us all to um, uh, go like tear out the date that some like horrendous bullshit happened to us. That was the end of the year in which Trump was elected. So you know that that was the first date to go. (laughs) And we literally burned those calendar pages. And that was really cathartic too, right? And so what we're doing here is we're not wanting to like, we're not destroying those things necessarily. It's not healthy to just like, repress, uh, avoid, stuff like that. Like you want to, as you're writing these things down on the pieces of paper, um, hopefully you've also been doing that work in the days leading up to it where you're really like letting those things gestate in the void. And so hopefully you're ready to release those things or you're at least setting the intention that you're going to be releasing those things um, in a healthy way, not in a self-destructive way. But like I got to just say, God damn it, it's really, really awesome and helpful to watch things burn sometimes. Yeah, so those are two rituals that you can use on your winter solstice and a very, very happy winter solstice and Merry Yule, I wish to you all. It's that time again, time for Crow Mail. So first, I'm going to answer a listener question uh, that they wrote in for me, and then I'm going to answer a listener question uh, consulting the cards. So first, 
Uh, a listener wrote in um, and said, I've listened to the first two episodes of your podcast and I love it. Aw, thank you. It feels like an intimate conversation each time. <laughs> I know I didn't have to read that part aloud, but I wanted to because it's a really nice compliment. So thanks. <laughs> My question is this. In the first episode, you mentioned identifying as femme. I am so curious about that word and what it means for you. I'm French-Canadian, so the word femme, to me, means woman. So when I hear that word used, it means the person identifies as female. Now, I know you are non-binary, so I am thinking I am probably misinterpreting the meaning of that word. I would love to hear more about it. Thank you so much for writing in with this question. Uh, You are, of course, absolutely correct. In French, femme does mean woman. And, you know, here's where language uh, gets funny, gets tricky. So the uh, short answer without getting into, like, you know, the whole etymology of the word femme in French and in English is that femme in English is currently uh, being used just to describe an identity or presentation that leans toward feminine. Um, However, the femme person does not necessarily have to identify as a woman. In my case, as you know, I identify as non-binary, but the way I choose to present myself definitely, definitely leans toward feminine more than masculine, so I sometimes describe myself as non-binary femme. Uh, Cisgender women, transgender women, non-binary people, anyone really can describe themselves as femme. Uh, You may also come across the word mask, M-A-S-C, short for masculine, used to describe gender identities or presentations that lean toward masculine but are not necessarily men or male. And what these two words do is, in essence, allow us to talk about representation, ways of uh, expressing the self without um, attaching those things to gender or to to biological sex. The interesting part for, for me, and this is something that I haven't really, um, you know, made up my mind about, but I think that it is interesting and possibly problematic that even by using the words femme or mask, we are still attributing certain like characteristics or presentations back to a certain gender or a certain sex because femme comes from feminine, which comes from female, and mask comes from masculine, which comes from male. These things are just like all wrapped up in this nearly untangleable web of language that we have woven around ourselves and sort of got ourselves stuck in because language is how we understand the world and how we understand ourselves so much of the times, uh, so much of the time because we're humans with our big brains and we live so much in those big brains and our brains sort of like the currency of our brains is sort of like language, <laughs> concepts, Right. So if our concepts that we have to describe ways of um, self-expression are so tied to the gender binary, then that's 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 a problem. And now I think I'm getting a little bit far afield from your question, which was just, you know, explain what femme means in English. So in English, femme is used to describe someone whose um, expression or presentation or identity leans toward the feminine. Okay, so I hope that that answers your very good question 
French Canadian listener. <laughs> and our next question comes from a listener who wrote in a question for the cards. This really important question really like tugs on my my feels a little bit. I'll just I'll I'll, I'll read the question and and then and then we'll talk about it. I think you'll see why. So the question is how do I stop being so envious of everyone else's lives? Wow. <laughs> wow. First of all, I just want to say thank you for sending this question in. And it's a really big deal that you are acknowledging this envy. And, you know, I just like, I, I sort of sense so much kind of like sadness and also frustration and maybe a little bit of self-flagellation wrapped up in this question. So I want to just like start before we look at any of the any of the cards. I want to start by by saying it's okay that you are feeling envious. Yeah, envy is is kind of a nasty emotion. It's it's a an ugly kind of emotion. It's a place an ugly place to be in. But it doesn't mean that you are an ugly person that not at all we all experience that at some point usually multiple points <laughs> I, I i definitely get envious of people sometimes and you are doing the work that you need to do surrounding it which is actually going oh wait why am i feeling this envy and seeking out answers so way to go you <laughs> Let's look at uh, what the cards have to say. So I kind of intuitively pulled four cards for you, starting with what you are perceiving in these other people's lives that you are envious of. And for that, <laughs> I pulled the sun, Arcanum 19, the sun, which is like <laughs> absolutely something that one would be envious of. Uh, we're going to talk about the sun a little bit more later in this episode when we're talking about the ones family. But in the meantime, for for the purposes of this reading, I mean, the sun is just like it encapsulates that that feeling of radiant rightness and joy and like harmonious existence. The sun is also is is the light. So when we're in the sun, we might be like. We might be occupying like a very visible place. And so I think that one of the things that you are perceiving in these other people's lives around you that you're envious of is like big, like visible moments of their lives. So we're talking about like, you know, the big events, like, you know, so-and-so's promotion, so-and-so got married, so-and-so's having a baby. Um, and we're also talking like all of the things that they post on social media because we all know this. Most people just post the good stuff on social media, not the bad stuff. So there's two things at play here. I think that you're perceiving in your uh, in the people's lives around you that they are in this place of radiant rightness and just like jubilance and joy and awesomeness. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the whole picture. Right? The sun is what we see in the daytime. Uh, it's not the moon, what goes on in the night. So, what you're perceiving in the lives of these other people, like, you know, may, may be mostly just a perception. 
Um, it, it may not be the whole truth. It almost definitely is not the whole truth. You know, we can get so wrapped up in this like veneer of what, you know, we, we see other people's lives being and what we want our life to be like and stuff like that. And like the truth is, is that like, it's not the sun all the time for any of us. And it also, the sun also means something else here. And that is that this radiance and rightness and and wholeness that you are perceiving in the lives of those around you is not something that you are perceiving in your own life. And wow, like, I just want to hold space for like the realness of that feeling for a second. So whenever, whenever we experience envy or jealousy, this is, this is the root of it. It's that like, there's something we want. There's something we want in our own lives, lives that we are lacking in our lives. And we're seeing everybody else get it. And we feel like, when's it my turn? When's it, when's it for me? And that brings us to the next card that I pulled for you, which is judgment reversed. Judgment upright is like um, the awakening, the epiphany, the, the, you know, the trumpets call on the day of judgment that, that brings all of the souls from their graves to go back to heaven and be with the Lord and blah, 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 whatever. That's the archetype around it. But in your case, like that's the, that's the moment that you're wanting. That's the like, when's it my turn? And, and that's why judgment is upside down in this case is because that's kind of like an upside down judgment. You are wanting a specific trumpet call. You are wanting a very specific awakening, a very specific thing to happen. And like life in the universe is like, nah, (laughs) that's not how things work. That's not how things work. The thing that you're hoping for might not come in that package. It might not look like you want it to. What I'm saying is you might need to adjust. You might need to adjust your expectations so that you can like clean out your ears and listen for your own trumpet call. So in other words, the thing that like the sun that you are perceiving the lives of others might not be your sun. Your sun might be something completely different. If you got exactly what those other people were want were having in their lives, you might find out that it doesn't bring you that same joy, that same satisfaction and feeling of wholeness and rightness. And the the final two cards I pulled to, pulled for you really bear this out. I pulled the nine of swords reversed and the six of swords reversed. Both of these cards, being swords, are about the realm of the mind, thoughts paradigms, meaning like our, our sort of like systems of self-belief, this sort of like gerbil wheel of our thoughts that we just tread on again and again and again and again. And that's, that's specifically the nine of swords. This is the card that in uh, the Smith weight is, uh, depicts a person sort of sitting up in bed uh, with nine swords over them. It looks like they've just woken from a nightmare. It's a card of literally of nightmares, of grief, of anxiety, of worry, of self-sabotage. Because what we are doing in the nine of swords is just dwelling, cycling, mulling over that thing. But as I think you already know, because you wrote in this question and you worded it the way that you did... Just sort of stewing on it in that way is it's not it's not helping. It's festering. It's getting worse. 
And that's where the Six of Swords comes in. The last card I drew for you, Six of Swords, is it's about transition. It's about change. It's about leaving things behind. This is the card that in the Smith Waite deck uh, shows a like uh, three people in a boat with uh, one person standing in the back, sort of like uh, pushing it with the stick thing. <laughs> I can't remember what they're called. Like, you know, like Venice style, like that kind of situation. Um, and they're headed across a body of water and there is a, uh, there's an island shore or the other side of a river or whatever. There's a shore visible on the other side. So they are literally leaving a shore behind for a different one. So this means that there's something that needs to change in your life so that you stop being envious of others and start feeling like you are working towards that sun card in your own life. So I can't tell you what that thing is. I think you know what that is. I think you know what that is. It might mean uh, shifting your expectations or your desires around something. It might mean really reevaluating why you think these certain things are going to get you happiness or if, in fact, they will bring you happiness truly. And this might be a, a shift or a change in your outer life, but it is also primarily going to start in your mind and the way you are thinking about things in the values that you are putting on certain things in your life rather than others or certain things in other people's lives in any sort of um like thought patterns or beliefs that are teaching you or that are telling you that you can't have that happiness and joy of the sun that is just not possible for you or that you have to wait on some outside thing in order to get that. I think that you are nearing the point where you're ready to really start asking those questions and doing that work. And I, I see that because of the Nine of Swords reversed, which usually means a kind of awakening from the nightmare. And the Six of Swords reversed, which reversed means like sort of like an inward transformation that needs to happen before you can bring it outward. So the sun is very, very much available to you, my friend. It is yours to find. It is just on the other side of that judgment trumpet call. But like I said before, you got to like do that internal work to figure out why you're placing the value on specific things, what you think that those things will get you, why do you think those things will bring you happiness? Release those images of what that happiness looks like and get in touch with what it is that you truly want on the other side. So the sun is available to you, my friend. It is, it is. But you gotta stop looking for it in other people's lives. You gotta stop comparing your life to other people's lives. And you got to get real about what that core thing is underneath that image of happiness that you want. Okay, thank you for writing in that question. And thanks to all of you who have written in questions. If you are listening to this, want to send in your own question, either just for me, like the first one, and you can ask me whatever. You can ask me a 
personal things and I'll answer it if I feel like it. <laughs> or you can ask me questions about tarot or about rituals or about like Saturn returns, you know, send me your questions. I would love, love, love to answer them. And you can send those to the word, Witch podcast at gmail.com with the subject line question for you. And if you want to send in a short question, like the one I just uh, read for the cards, for me to pull some cards for and do a little anonymous reading for, send those questions to the same email address, the word which podcast at gmail.com with the subject line question for the cards. And those two different subjects, subject lines will help me uh, distinguish between them. All right, y'all, that's it for Chrome Mail. Thanks so much. And now on to our tarot lesson for this month. So last month we uh, introduced the idea of tarot number families, uh, which is uh, basically the way of understanding tarot through the lens of both uh, the numerological significance and um, the four elements, earth, air, uh, fire, water. So tune into that episode from last month to get those foundations where we talked about the four suits, um, the four elements, and uh, also zero, the fool. Today, we're moving on to the ones. And listen, the ones are a pretty big number family because they don't just include the ones. So I'm going to try to get through this um, in as speedy and yet informative (laughs) a way as possible. All right, so let's talk about the energy of a one first. So one is just one thing, right? It is unified. It is complete. It is... um, a whole in and of itself because it is just one. This is what the uh, Pythagorean numerologists called the monad, M-O-N-A-D. From nothing, the, the zero of the void and of the fool comes one, the monad, the first thing, which is not even totally cognizant that it is a thing or that it is uh, like that it has an identity because there's nothing to compare it against. At this point, there is only one, right? So the one is like um, the beginning of possibility. It's the beginning of um, existence, right? And so it does have some ideas of like identity and ego um, and manifestation wrapped up in there. There's a, a kind of unadulterated purity in the one that then becomes um, uh, more complicated as we progress on in the numbers. And the ones, uh, these are the aces. The aces in the minor arcana are ones. And as you all probably know, the aces are the raw essence of their suit. They're the raw material of opportunity. They're um, a a gift from the universe. In the Rider-Waite deck, there's the um, symbol of the suit is being sort of presented out to you on a cloud right? Like literally like a gift from the universe. So their opportunity, their potential, they're a seed, a seed. But here's the thing about aces and the thing about seeds. (laughs) You can't just leave your seeds on the kitchen table and expect to grow a tree. (laughs) No, you have to work with them. 
You have to plant those seeds and nurture them. And so we have to do the same thing with aces. We are presented a kind of opportunity or potential um, in the ace in the form of sort of like raw material. And then we have to go, okay, yes, thank you. And take it and then intentionally work with it in order to bring it to the fruition that it promises as a possibility. And this is where the magician comes in. If you look at the card, uh, the magician card from the Smith Waite tarot, and actually all the way back through most of the other tarots, all the way back to the Visconti Sforza, um, uh, the OG original tarot. If you look at the magician, there is a table in front of them that has all four suits on it, all four aces. There's a sword, a wand, a pentacle, a cup, and they're on the work table in front of the magician. <laughs> so these are the magician's tools. These are the raw materials the magician works with in order to make magic in the world, in order to manifest things from the realm of spirit and dream and possibility from the void into material reality into the real world if you notice um the magician's disco pose as i like to call it with uh, one with one arm uh, up in the air pointing a wand at the sky and the other arm pointing down towards the earth the magician is making themselves a a channel um a vessel for manifestation for moving that pure potential energy from the ether hence the wand pointed at the sky, and into the earth, hence the finger pointed at the ground. And the magician also sits at the spot in the majors where the fool, that pure potential, the fertile void that we talked about, enters the world in the creative fire. This is like the, the, um, the moment of creation, the, the spark of the idea um, the inspiration, <laughs> um, the, the magician, the card is ruled by air, um, and some also associated with earth. Uh, it's ruled by the planet Mercury, which is, uh, where that air association comes from. But like, I always, I can't help it. I also associate the magician with fire. And I think it's because as card number one, um, that, uh, f- the, the first astrological sign in the Zodiac is Aries which is fire. And there's just like a certain sense that it makes for me to to like have that sort of entry point of energy into the world being fire. But, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to rewrite the entirety of tarot, so nobody send me angry letters. <laughs> it is canon that the magician is air, but I often speak of the magician as like the creative fire. So (laughs) just wanted to clear up that in case anybody um, started to get confused. So the magician um, takes the aces, takes that raw material of the aces and um, uses them in order to, in order to create, in order to create. So those are the just straight up ones, the aces and the magician. However, that's not all. There are uh, many more cards in the ones family um, because of the way we add up the numbers with numerology. So the tens are also part of the ones family. Again, you can listen to that episode from last month, which was episode three. Yeah. Uh, to sort of get this intro. But in order to figure out um, what 
number family a card falls into, you take the digits of that number if they are a two-digit number and add the individual digits up. So like with a 10, we take the one and the zero and we add them. One plus zero is one. So the tens also belong in this one's number family. And here is the cycle. Everything is a cycle. Remember that? In numerology, the cycle is represented by the base 10 number system, with 1 being the beginning and 10 being the end. But 1 is the beginning and 10 is the end. 10 is also 1. <laughs> so that reinforces the idea that we just, um, not, not that we're just going around in circles and ending up where we began, but that uh, it's, it's a spiral. When the journey ends, it is also beginning again. There's no uh, final stop point. There's no finality. There's no, well, my work is done here. <laughs> We're always continuing. And so if we look at the tens in tarot, um, we see sort of a different face of that number family of the ones. Either we see it in the, in the minors in the form of the fulfillment and prosperity of the uh, cups and the pentacles, or in the sense of overwhelm and overkill in the Ten of Wands and Ten of Swords. And I want to just take a moment to sidetrack and uh, address the idea of bad cards. The Ten of Wands and Swords can seem like, quote, bad cards in tarot, but the reality is that no cards are bad in tarot, and no cards are good either. <laughs> That's right. I said it. There's no bad cards and there's no good cards. There are just cards. They just are. The tarot doesn't conceive of good or bad in the same way that we do. While we may see, for instance, a breakup as a bad thing, the tarot might, uh, the, the tarot will see it on a larger scale, the larger scale of your lifetime or lifetimes and the higher evolution of your soul. So the tarot might like throw you the tower and be like, yay, a breakup. <laughs> this is going to be so good for you. <laughs> yeah. So tower, not a bad card either. I guess you could it just as easily get um, 10 of swords in a moment like that. The end of a negative cycle, the end of something that hasn't been serving you, that that finality of that overkill, that 10 swords in the back, that um, seems like an image of defeat and pain. And it can certainly feel like that, but that's going to help us. <laughs> that that Ten of Swords or that Tower might actually be what we need in order to recognize the ending for what it is and move forward, accept it and move forward and, and build again. So when we receive cards like these, instead of thinking them as bad cards and, or instead of like being like, oh, fuck, we're doomed, we need to be able to sort of pause and zoom out in order to try to understand them for the larger medicine they may have for us in the like grand scheme of things. I realize it is much easier said than done. <laughs> but um, this is part of the work that tarot has to offer us is helping us shift our perspectives and take a different view on some of these challenges and hurdles that we have in our lives. So the tens can represent fulfillment, fruition, completion, and they can also represent ending 
uh, releasing, overwhelm, overburden. So that also means that major arcana number 10, the wheel, the wheel of fortune, uh, also belongs to the ones number family. When we're dealing with the major arcana cards in the number families, I think of each higher major arcana card as kind of like um, a higher octave of the base one through nine number that it's part of. And higher octave doesn't necessarily connote objectively better right? Or good or bad, like I was just talking about. Uh, Because I think placing this better, worse, good, bad value judgment on the cards is just missing a, a huge part of the point and is often undermining or trivializing what they have to offer. If if we see them as like a, a, a bad card, then we're often undermining their really, really potent medicine. Or if we see them as just like an objectively good, great card, like the star or something, then we're often trivializing what they have to offer. Because each of them is way more complex than just good or bad, yay or crap. <laughs> you know, um, so higher octave just means the energy takes on a uh, little bit of a different form or a different face of its resonance as part of its sort of evolution. So in the wheel, uh, that oneness and individualism of the magician realizes that he, she, they is not alone. That uh, solo power, willful force of the magician meets the wheel and is like, oh shit, <laughs> uh, I, it's not only me here. I'm not just one. There's so much more. Uh, this also comes into play with the high priestess in the twos. This idea, this introduction to dial- duality, this this idea of duality and self versus other. But in the 10, um, it's less of a realization that there are other people in the world and more of a realization that there are larger forces outside of ourselves. Um, And these forces are often, like most of the time, are outside of our control. Here are the laws of the universe. Uh, What goes up must come down. Here is the ever-turning wheel and never-ending spiral of rise and fall, beginning and end and beginning again, one to ten to one to ten to one. Here is that old annoying phrase from Heraclitus of Ephesus, that old Greek, (laughs) the only constant is change. Thanks, Heraclitus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right. Heraclitus? I don't know. This is all that big stuff that comes up in life that we feel powerless against. Or it's simply the stuff that's outside of our control. The wheel does not always come up to be like uh, some sort of huge cataclysmic uncontrollable shift, but it, it does mean that we are not in complete control of the situation around us. And that's not our fault, y'all, because here's the thing. We are not in control, <laughs> Ever. I mean, we are, but only of a, a certain realm of the world, which is mostly just ourselves and not even then completely. But we're also not completely powerless. <laughs> we're not. What we can control is our response to the uncontrollable things. So are we going to kick and scream and make our mama, the Wheel of Fortune, drag us bodily through the Walmart? Because she will. (laughs) She will absolutely do that, I promise you. Or are we going to find our calm, grounded center, our oneness inside of ourselves and figure out how to work with the wheel instead of against it? We can figure out how to use all of the tools 
on our table to ease our passage on the pavement side of the wheel and speed our way to the top again, maybe with even more knowledge of ourselves and of our own powers and capabilities than we had before. So which one are we going to do? I suggest the latter. (laughs) And then the last part of the uh, ones number family is number 19, Major Arcana 19, the sun, because nine plus one equals 10 and one plus zero equals one. Math. So in the sun, in this most ginormous of number families of the ones, this card is the highest evolution of the magician because here we have that solo oneness, um, that ego of the magician with the harmony, like in harmony and in unity with the world around them. Where first we just had the one, the idea of one, not even the idea of two, but just one, one unified whole. And then we we got up to the tens where we realized that we're not just one. We're just one in like a whole multitude. We're not in control. There's so much more around us. And then we arrive here in 19 with the sun in a like cohesive, joyful flow and, and presence and oneness with ourselves in relation to our surroundings. This is the complete and radiant unity of the mind, body, spirit, Triforce. (laughs) Yes, I said Triforce because um, the Nintendo 64 video game Legends of Zelda was formative in my adolescence. Uh, But another word for Triforce would be Trinity. (laughs) So the mind, body, spirit, Trinity. This is, there's a burgeoning contact in this card with the collective or with the universal unconscious and superconscious that grows through that um, sort of cosmic trinity of star, moon, sun um, as we work our way up to the last couple cards of the tarot or of the major arcana, judgment and the world. So again, it's that higher evolution of the one, the self, right? The self, the consciousness, understanding that it is part of a bigger picture in the in the wheel, even if in the wheel we don't understand that bigger picture, right? We, we perceive it, but we don't fully understand it, uh, but we learn how to work with it. And then finally, the self reaches this point in the sun where we're really embodying that wholeness of self in conjunct with the world around them. And now this may sound a lot like the sort of complete wholeness and unity of Arcanum 21, the world, the final card of the major arcana, but it's not quite, not quite yet. So these two are distinct, but um, I do think that the sun has um, a really good sort of initial flavor of that oneness and unity and sort of completion and and that contact with um, the collective. But in the world, it reaches like a whole new different level where we really transcend the self. And in the sun, we're still very much still in the self. We're just in like a um, in a pretty, pretty highly evolved self. Uh, but anyway, we'll talk more about the world card uh, when we do the threes. So yeah, that's the ones. Uh, it's the journey from raw possibility to embodied fulfillment. And the journey of the self learning to exist in harmony with the universe and the world around them. Oh, and I can't remember if I said this earlier, but study tip, study tip. Um, Take out all of the ones from your deck. Uh, I'm just talking like straight up ones. So each of the aces, take them out of your deck, study them together. 
think of the resonance of a one, the the beginning, the the raw energy, the seed, the like raw material, the opportunity or potential, um, and then uh, compare the card across suits, thinking about how that one energy. Uh, is manifested in each suit. So in each suit and their sort of like um, elemental resonance and area of life that that suit rules. And compare the images too. So, you know, if I teach it with uh, the Smithwaite Tarot and there's so much, there's so much stuff there that you can look at and compare and contrast. But whatever deck it is that's your favorite deck that you love to work with, that you love to study with, use that deck. Take notes. And when we're when we're studying this way, studying um, the through the conjunction or the uh, juxtaposition of the number energy and the suit energy, we learn both through comparison, so seeing similarities but over like uh, across the cards of the same number, and also by contrast by seeing what's different between those cards across the same number, seeing different flavors. So when you do this with the tens, for instance, when you pull all the tens out of your deck and compare them, you'll notice, as I mentioned briefly earlier, that there's probably two of them that seem to be a little bit more on like the positive side and two of them that seem to be a little bit more on the dark side. Um, So you might have uh, to challenge yourself a bit to see what the similarities are, are between them, but you can also learn a lot from those contrasts. You know, so ask yourself like, why is this 10 depicting a person with swords in their back and this other 10 depicting a happy family? You know, what is it about the intersection of that number and that suit, that element that is um, being expressed in this way? And then you can also think about just like how the tarot expresses these number energies in general. So we can't really, would it serve to have four tens that are all like huzzah great images congratulations you have succeeded woohoo uh, no <laughs> no that wouldn't serve us cuz that's not how life works right that's not how life works we need to have images in the tarot and cards in the tarot that aren't so um happy go lucky that aren't so comforting and affirming because that does not reflect life that does not reflect our experience so consider the necessity of how and why those uh those different flavors of the tins exist and then to continue my study tips throw in the major arcana cards too so study study the aces along with the magician study the tins along with the wheel of fortune what similarities and contrasts do you find there? What new meanings can you find in the Wheel of Fortune because you're studying it with the tens and vice versa? And then add the sun in the mix. You get the idea. Um, I will go more into these ideas on my Patreon, where I'm kind of doing a whole sort of more extended tarot lesson series on the tarot number families, uh, and going more into the imagery of each card and things like that as we go along. Um, So if you are interested in expanding on these ideas, check out patreon.com slash the word witch tarot. And next month, we will uh, tackle the twos. So all the twos are the minors plus the hype 
priestess, justice, and uh, judgment. And if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please, please, please rate it. Uh, click the click some stars. Review it if you like really want to make me smile. <laughs> Share it with a friend. All those things are free ways that you can support this podcast and spread the love. Okay, I love you all. I will see you next time in two weeks. Until then, bye bye. Running in circles, but we live with lines. We put ourselves in boxes when the air is just fine. We're digging down to the earth to find the sky. We're always asking when, but never why. You've been listening to The Word Witch. Our theme music is Counting Rice by Bitches in the Beehive. Their album, Itty Bitty Spaces, is out now. The Word Witch is written, produced, and recorded by me, Claire Burgess. Our logo is designed by me, too. Editing and tech support come from Danu Vino. You can follow The Word Witch on Instagram at the.word.witch. You can book tarot readings, find out about upcoming classes, and join our newsletter at thewordwitchtarot.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash thewordwitchtarot. For as little as $1, you'll receive collective tarot readings, tarot and astro content, downloads of my zines, and podcast outtakes and extras. Plus, you'll help make this podcast possible and help support a working witch. If you have a question for The Word Witch, email us at thewordwitchpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time, stay magical. Trying to shoot the moon. Isn't everything we've got that's just.